Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And uh, this week is show two with David out in old Pittsburgh. He is, we're, we're doing some new technological things that may or may not have taken us about <laughs> like an hour, hour and a half to figure out. Oh my God, it's so ridiculous. Technology's dumb sometimes. Now I know what yeah. it feels like, like, you know, all of the people that I've made fun of for so long about not being able to figure out technology, like this is, must be what it feels like for them, like all the time. Yeah. And this is from a certified Apple genius. Um, so yeah, I mean, did been been in that tech game for a while, you know, so it's not, not, not the first rodeo here, but it was a disaster trying to get, yeah. don't do audio stuff at all. Uh, we both ended up having problems like this. So this essentially so some background here on how we got set up. And the reason why we never have technical difficulties, like in basically any other episode is one of my good friends, uh, is like an audio engineer. And he came when we first were getting kind of started, uh, and set everything up right like set up a, a little template and logic for us like got all and we've made little minor tweaks to things since then but like the core foundation of what we need to do was done for us and we don't have to ever mess with it uh, we may have like changed the oil in the car yeah and 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 that was it and now we're sitting here looking at this huge complex piece of software needing to like I don't know. Change out the carburetor. The car. No, no. Now we're trying anymore? to split the car in two and both find a way to drive. <laughs> is what we tried to do. Uh, and you yeah. know what? We're driving. Yeah, we're we're literally. We had to cut a hole in the floor uh, and stick our feet through it. But damn it, we are driving. We are driving. Uh, that's right. So episode two, not without its difficulties, but you know what? We are dedicated as long as we didn't start this show before or after 10 p.m. Uh, Central Time because that was that was my that was my end. I'm old, man. I need to I need to. Hey, not I'm, I'm on that late. Eastern Standard Time now. Uh, not super pumped about it. There's a, yep. there's like a preseason Niners preseason game in the final week that against the Chargers. It's going to start start at 10 p.m. here. So it's yep. like 15 minutes from what time it is now, which is already feels like too late. This and and of course it, it goes without saying that now we're definitely going to get tweets from like Norway and Germany and Australia of all the fans basically saying quit your whinging David because we have to get yeah, up at like four in the morning you know to watch games. All I'm saying is I miss the West Coast. <laughs> so we're definitely going to get into a, a really fun show that we have planned for you, and uh, we're going to do a bit more setup a little bit later. But it's really going to be a show from the future. It's something that we kind of half-brained thought about uh, a little while ago and thought, you know what, this would be fun. It would be a little change-up. It would be different from the typical things that we'd be doing at this point of the year before we get into our regular cadence of preseason games. So this is going to be a fun episode. We had some fun writing it, uh, and hopefully you uh, are along for the ride. But first, let's get into the rundown of the top news stories here in 49ers land because there really isn't a whole heck of a lot of news except for something that everyone got into a tizzy about, and that was that the unofficial depth chart was released ever so recently. I think it was either today or yesterday where the 49ers released a, an unofficial depth chart, and everyone uh, collectively almost lost their minds and almost didn't. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's hilarious because, I mean, obviously the, the, the most notable, and I'm putting that in, in air quotes, uh, is the Blaine Gabbert, Colin Kaepernick co-starting quarterback thing, uh, which is just a layer. Like, it's so great. Uh, I mean, two-quarterback system. Two-quarterback system. Make it happen. Both quarterbacks on the field. Why Why not? Uh, let's both on the field at the same time. Let's alternate drives. Like, let's just... Uh, who cares, right? Like, nah, dude. It's going to be a wing T wildcat 
where any quarterback can either run or pass at any given time, it's going to be revolutionary. Yeah, or set us back to the 30s. Yep. Um, now, I think actually the most notable part about the, the depth chart is something that most people don't know, and that's that the depth chart is actually built by Bob Lang, who's the head of football rela- or who's the head of PR, head of public relations for the 49ers. So if, if you actually look in the upper left-hand corner of the depth chart, you'll see like released by football communications or something like that. And that basically tells you that it's not the coaches who are putting this together. It's actually PR. And today, <laughs> Chip Kelly was asked about that. And the first question for after his, um, his Keysar joint practice, um, I guess, press conference was how much care and thought went into your depth chart yesterday. And his answer was, I think Bob, this is Bob Lang, head of PR, I think Bob's a very thoughtful and caring person. I think he did a great job. <laughs> so even Chip on the front is just saying, I honestly had no real input into putting this together. It was Bob Lang of PR, and uh, that's that. I mean, why would he spend time, like in Chip Kelly, why, why would he spend time working on a depth chart right now on August 10th? Like, the season's still over a month away at this point. Like, nobody gives a shit about a depth chart. Well, except for the fans who went nuts over it. But the other, the other big part of the depth chart was really something that could help us, you and me, David, <laughs> moving forward, heretofore, if you will. And that's going to be really the pronunciation guide. The pronunciation guide at the bottom of that unofficial depth chart was clutch. Um, it's, you know, we can finally settle the peers-pairs debate. It's peers, according to the pronunciation guide. Yeah, I'm just saying, and- I heard one time peers had come out and said like on twitter or something like that that it's pairs or he said it like when he when he said his name on a sunday night broadcast or something like that in like in the introductions i swear at one point he said it was pairs it's just to mess with you he did it just to mess with you probably yeah so the the unofficial depth chart which is a difficult string of words to put together uh, don't put too much stock into it it's put up by pr uh, I would much rather put some stock into the repetitions that people get in the preseason games because I think that tells you a bit more. And we'll talk about that here a little bit later. Next up, of course, are going to be the practice reports. I think we we covered – David put a picture actually of Allen Iverson in our agenda notes <laughs> at this point. It's just Allen Iverson. It says practice because that's literally all we have to say at this point about these practice reports. We mentioned it last week and maybe even the week before, but I think it bears repeating. At this point, we're not sure – what the focus areas of these quarterbacks are. We don't know what they're trying to do. We don't know what they're practicing. And and because we don't know those things and we don't have those contextual clues, then those, you know, eight out of 10, 11 out of 12 kind of reports don't really mean as much as you think they do. And, and likewise, I think it's just not a smart decision to put all of your eggs in these camp report baskets without having, you know, some of that context. Yeah, and I, I think we covered most of the important stuff during last week's episode. But one thing that uh, I don't think we really touched on that I think is important to mention too, because I saw uh, somebody mention uh, something along the lines of like the offensive line during during their drills didn't look very good, and there was a lot of like miscommunication on some of like the double team blocks and the zone concepts that they were practicing, uh, and and just kind of like you know, things similar to that, uh, essentially like about how there were all of these like errors in these different drills. And, and it's like, 
that's why they have training camp. Like that's the whole purpose of what they're doing right now is not only to, you know, install the systems and and get the offensive and defense uh, systems installed, but also to like work out these kinks, right? Like this uh, is effectively like a new team. Some of these guys haven't played together before. You're adding like all the rookies and everything into the mix. Um, Training camp is about ironing out these kinks, right? Like fixing the communication issues, getting on the same page so that you don't have those same sort of errors come the regular season. So the pointing those out right now uh, and, and using those is any sort of like meaningful indicator as to what will happen come the regular season uh, is just kind of pointless to me. So looking ahead then to the first preseason game this Sunday against the Houston Texans, David, is there anything that you're looking forward to seeing knowing that the preseason game is probably going to be ever so slightly more instructive than the, the training camp practice reports? You know, not a a lot of uh, specifics, I think. So I think when, whenever you're, you know, dealing with like a completely new coaching staff and, uh, you know, dealing with some of the new players, like some of the, and, and you, obviously everybody's got the rookie class coming in wanting to see how those players look. Um, so for me, it's just kind of like seeing how everything comes together and, and seeing, you know, e- even though things are going to be pretty vanilla and we're going to be getting like really basic things on both sides of the ball here. Um, just seeing like how these players look in this new system, like what things that they're trying to work on. Uh, obviously the offense, especially I think for, for us uh, is, is always kind of a more intriguing thing, you know, especially with yep. Chip Kelly uh, and, and everything that, you know, we've talked about throughout this off season with him. So just kind of seeing what these new players look like and even some of the more basic things within that offense, uh, I, I guess would probably be top on the list for me, but yeah, considering the amount of new things that you have to deal with, with this team, it's just kind of like, okay, what is this going to look like? This is really going to set kind of the foundation for what we can expect going forward. Yeah, again, I'm not looking for a win or a loss. Uh, We've mentioned this before in the preseason. This is, again, a preseason in which Steve Spurrier was blowing teams out and going undefeated. Uh, I could really care. I couldn't care less whether or not the 49ers win or lose. What I am looking at is how the quarterbacks are rotated, who gets first-team snaps, how they look with the first-team offense, because I hope that they both get snaps with the first-team offense. And I'm also looking to see how supposedly superior players play against inferior opponents. If you see Bruce Ellington or Quentin Patton in there against the twos and threes, they should begin to dominate. Like that's ultimately what you want to see in preseason games. So I'm not looking at a whole lot. I think again, you're right. It is kind of setting the stage for how this is going to look moving forward, but I I will probably keep a keen eye on the quarterbacks, how they look and, and what their rotation looks like and if they do get to participate against inferior opponents. Yeah, when it comes to like specific players, I think a quarterback's obviously a big one with this team and, and with you know a lot of teams. But uh, the, the rookie class, I guess, is the other part, too. Like getting to see uh, especially those top picks like Josh Garnett and DeForest Buckner. You know, this is our first opportunity to see what they look like, you know, on, on this team. So uh, I'll certainly be paying pretty close attention to them. Oh, and I guess Anthony Davis, too. Yeah. Like I was about to say, uh, the offensive line. I'm Anthony still Davis. not used to like thinking about him uh, with this team. Like I already, you know, I kind of put it out with that with last year. So yeah, like uh, what is what does he look like? Is is he looks super rusty? I mean, obviously a lot of the comments coming out of uh, all the the reports are very positive, but uh, also that's 
I, I remember I, I tweeted out something like yesterday uh, that somebody had a comment from Modkins about like, oh yeah, we're super impressed with where Anthony Davis is. And I was like, translated, have you seen the dudes that we were playing at right tackle before he came back? Like, <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, I want, want to kind of see where he's at and, uh, and and like, does he look out of shape? Does he is he struggling? Like, uh, does he does he look athletic enough to kind of carry out these zone concepts? Like all those sorts of things. So those are the things that we'll be looking at. It'll be really good to have football in some form back, even though it won't be the most consequential football, but it will be good to have an actual game that we can talk about. And as we move forward with the season, we're going to move back into more of a regular cadence. During the preseason, we do a bit of talking with some of the bloggers that have covered our division rivals over the course of the next four weeks. So uh, we'll talk to Joe McAtee from uh, Turf Show Times, who's always a great listen next week. And we'll get back into our kind of review the preseason game and, and review a, a seasonal opponent as well. So it'll be good to get back into a regular cadence. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just going to be nice to have football back in general. Like, I don't even care that it's preseason. Like, I'm so ready to just, like, get to – and maybe th- this is probably has a lot to do with, like, all of the moving hell that I've gone through for the last couple of weeks. But I'm just ready for some, like, normalcy. I'm ready for football. I'm ready to get into this. Yeah, I uh, I am going to say, though, I am proud. I can see over your shoulder here on Skype that there are boxes everywhere. Uh, there are some things that are set up. There are some things that are not. But your bar, your bar set up. Oh, yeah. That little bar cart yeah. ready to go. Yeah, it is. Priorities. Drink cart. One of the first That's things. Right. As they would as uh, my London counterparts say, it's a drink trolley. <laughs> a drink trolley. <laughs> yeah, it's a drink trolley. Oh, my True God. Story. English do uh, everything better than us. It's really awesome because we'll have like 11, we'll have 11 a.m. meetings on Friday. And for us, it's like, you know, we're just, it's like the last meeting right before lunch and they're like ready to go to the pub. They're like, let get, let's get out of here. And so you actually see them walk around with the drink trolley uh, (laughs) and like pass out drinks. It's great. I love it. Uh, So what are we going to do for this episode? What's the thing that we had fun writing? What is the the meat of the episode going to consist of this week? Really, it, it was born out of a question. If we were to move to the future, if we were to jump into our DeLorean, hit 88 miles an hour, get 1.21 gigawatts of energy, and we went to the future, and the 49ers happened to have a very, very successful year. In fact, they were the Cinderella team that everyone seems to lust after in the NFL year after year. They're the zero to hero. They are the 2011 Chiefs. Whatever you know, kind of monker you want to put on them, what would it take? for the 49ers to get there, and what would that season recap sound like? So rather than sit here and kind of opine about, well, this could happen and that could happen, we thought, you know what would be really fun? Is if we actually pretended to do a season recap for a successful 49ers team from the future. So from here on out, pretend that it is January and that the 49ers have had a remarkably successful season, that they in fact were the Cinderella team. This is the season recap of a playoff-bound San Francisco 49ers after Chip Kelly's first year. We're going to talk about all the things that need to go right, all the things that we probably expect to see from teams that have made a zero-to-hero kind of jump, and we're going to tell it through the lens of a season recap as though it's already happened. I feel really, really sorry for for anyone who's fast-forwarded through that, because they're going to get to like the meat of the episode and they're going to be like, what the just happened? What are these guys <laughs> talking about? But trust me, it, it makes That's why a you got to listen to the whole thing. All right. 
That's right. That's why I got to listen to the whole thing. Uh, so let's go ahead and recap a 2016 49er season. A 2016 49er season that is, well, from the future. So here we are, it's January, and the 49ers are on their way to the playoffs. This is not a place we expected to be, but after an unbelievable 10-6 and season, they did really much like they did in 2011. They rode that new coach wave uh, to a season that really exceeded anyone's expectations, and it's it's been a fun ride. I mean, I had no idea that this season was going to turn out this way. I mean, we we predicted, what, probably five wins, maybe six, maybe. if they were overachieving. Maybe. And <laughs> and here we are, right? Ten and six, the things went their way, and all of a sudden, the 49ers are darlings of the NFL once again. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting now Now that the season's over, because as things are happening, right, like, of course, we we pick up on a few things, and, and some of the stuff that we'll touch on throughout this episode will, will be things that we've, you know, touched on at points throughout the season, but... Uh, it's interesting now that we have kind of the regular seasons done, we can look back on it in its entirety and and kind of try to identify some of the main things, some of the primary drivers of the 49ers leap from, you know, having a top 10 pick, uh, last off season to suddenly be, uh, becoming a playoff team. So we, we said at the beginning of the year that a lot of this was going to rest on the arm of Colin Kaepernick and getting to 10 and six after having a top 10 pick is is not a, an easy thing to do, even though it seems to happen once or twice every now and again in the NFL. And the NFL is a quarterback-driven league, and it all started with Colin Kaepernick and really Colin Kaepernick getting back to that 2012-2013 Colin Kaepernick that we know and love again. Now, quarterbacks always get the attention, but there's no way really to make a bigger leap than it is for your quarterback to start playing well again. And there was a bit of controversy at the the beginning of the year, whether it would be Blaine Gabbert or Colin Kaepernick. Really, Chip Kelly didn't announce his starter until the week before the the season opener, just a few days. So it it wasn't even like I won the the job outright and there was some doubt. But once Colin Kaepernick took the helm, he really, really took off and proved that he was the quarterback that we knew and loved from those previous playoff runs under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, and if, if you're a you know a longtime listener of the show, you know we've spent kind of a long, a, a lot of time over the last few years talking about Colin Kaepernick and and kind of you know uh, during the really good years like early on 2012, 2013, what he was doing well, like how he was different from Alex Smith and and kind of the the extra elements there that he brought to the table, and then also like kind of through that decline in in 2014 and 2015. So what we saw this past season was him getting back to some of those things that, that he did really well early on. Um, I think one thing that really kind of stuck out from this season was that it was how much he got the ball out quicker, right? Like even when things were going well early in his career, he still had one of the highest uh, like time to throw marks in, in the entire league. So uh, he, he tended to hover like right around the three second mark, uh, you know, again, even in those early years when things were going really well. So, and, and that's not like an uncommon thing for mobile quarterbacks, especially like guys that can run uh, are going to obviously like use their athletic ability to extend plays periodically. Uh, and that's going to bump up, the time that it takes for them to release the ball on those plays, which bumps up their overall average. So we tend to see, you know, quarterbacks who can move around a little bit, have higher marks in that area, but uh, it was still something where I think that he, he could improve upon and uh, kind of the, a few elements that led to that. I think one, 
he was much smarter about his decisions as to like when he needs to take off and scramble, when he needs to extend plays, and when he needs to just sit in there and let the play develop and kind of work within the framework of the play. So uh, that was was a big factor, uh, and then also like the protection was much better, right? It had been kind of a disaster since. Uh, especially the 2014 season, but you know we talked about how even towards the tail end of the 2013 season, things had really started to go downhill a little bit with the offensive line. This year, with uh, the return of Anthony Davis uh, and also kind of getting some solid play from Joshua Garnett, who we were you know a little bit hesitant on coming into the season as to how well he was going to do in pass protection, he ended up being uh, you know a pretty solid performer in that respect. So you kind of put all of that together. And he was able to drop his uh, average time to release the ball down to a right around two and a half seconds. So uh, that was a, a pretty significant improvement for him. Uh, and one of the things that I think stuck out about his performance this year. Now, what's interesting is we saw some of this in early in 2015 when he was working with Dennis Guile and really his performance in, against Minnesota. We saw some of his kind of wider base and him moving up in the pocket. But then it all just started to fall apart because he got no protection. Well, now that he gets a bit of protection, you know, Anthony Davis had a tumultuous kind of offseason, but then he came back and we're like, we don't know if he's going to be any good. Turns out, yeah, he's still actually pretty good. And he really solidified the right side of the line. And now all of a sudden, some of those gains that you saw Colin Kaepernick achieve early on in the year that fell apart once he got pressured, Colin Kaepernick was able to build upon and turn that into a, a, successful, a successful season, at least when it comes to releasing the ball. But one of the areas that Colin Kaepernick also succeeded in in his meteoric rise in 2012 and 2013 was his deep ball accuracy. He was one of the league's most accurate deep ball, deep ball passers in 2012 and 2013. And he was one of the worst in 2014 to 2015. I mean, it was basically two ends of the same spectrum. And in 2016, he really crept back up near that 50% deep ball accuracy. He finished at 48.3%, which put him in the top five in the NFL. That puts him up there with the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world and with Chip Kelly's offense really being a team or really being an offense that is structured to have defenses pay on those deep balls. If you have a quarterback who can connect and a wide receiver who can stretch that defense, all of a sudden you've built an explosive combination. And and so quarterback obviously is a big thing. Like we mentioned at the top of that, it, it, there's really no quicker way to make a large jump in your win total than to get... Uh, a, a big improvement from your quarterback play, right? So uh, it, it's really hard to kind of look past that too much. But a lot of times when you see teams kind of go from that sort of top five, top 10 pick range to all of a sudden making the playoffs, uh, there, there tend to be some common themes among those teams. And, and really the 49ers in a lot of respects were, were no exception. So one of the first things uh, once we moved beyond the quarterback position that stood out was uh, how the schedule was so much easier than anticipated. So, having a tough schedule has really been nothing new to the 49ers, right? Like ever since the NFC West kind of took off again, they've had one of the league's most difficult schedules nearly every year. When you look at uh, the the strength of schedule numbers from football outsiders using DVOA going back to 2012, third toughest, 2013, ninth toughest, 2014, eighth, uh, and then 2015 second. So a top 10 tough schedule every single year since 2012 and that was the expectation going into this year, right? When you looked at the Football Outsiders projections uh, going into the season, they projected them to have the toughest schedule. So uh, you had, obviously, the NFC West games on there, but also teams like Carolina, uh, teams that had done really well in the previous years and were expected to kind of continue that. So 
that ended up not being nearly as tough as expected. It wasn't uh, necessarily a cupcake schedule by any means, but it was kind of in the bottom third, right around the 10th easiest schedule by DVOA when, when things were all said and done. Um, when you look at why there was such a discrepancy between that kind of preseason expectation and what actually happened, I mean, the, the, the obvious thing to point out is, right, Seattle and Arizona ended up being two of the league's most injured teams. Like, they had some some key injuries. Arizona, we talked about prior to the 2015 season in our I preview. I was going to say, we were, a, we were a year yeah, too late. We were a year That's late. That's really what it was. Uh, we said, we called it last year. We said, no, Arizona's not going to be good because Carlos Palms is going to get injured. Of course, he throws up ridiculous numbers. And and then of course he you know he breaks his collarbone has some residual damage in his shoulder all of a sudden you know he's not able to throw the ball for the rest of the year and 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 the Cardinals look like a completely different team and th- and that's kind of exactly why uh, you know I'd said that I wouldn't really revise that projection even though it turned out to be wrong you know when you have somebody like Carson Palmer who's historically struggled with injuries and and has had a tough time playing a full sixteen game slate like you kind of have to bank that he won't do that, right? You have to build in some missed time with him, and and it kind of, you know, unfortunately for the Cardinals came through. Um, But Seattle also suffered, you know, a bunch of different injuries. Uh, It really kind of decimated a lot of key key spots there. So you had that. Uh, You had also Carolina, you know, was, again, one of the, you know, really the best team preseason-wise looking on there, at least from a record standpoint from 2015 uh, after they went 15-1. They regressed significantly, kind of came back down to the pack, uh, and then you know you, that those are the kind of the big things because those those teams at the top really you know it can inflate that strength of schedule. Um, the fact that the 49ers play Seattle and Arizona twice really does so. Um, so when you look at some teams like that that really didn't meet those preseason expectations, you get a much easier schedule than anticipated, and that's always one of you know there's very few exceptions when you look at teams that make a large jump uh, in win total from season to season that they strength the schedule doesn't have at least a little bit to do with it. And really it was that game against the Carolina Panthers that the 49ers were able to eke out by just three points that really kind of thought that that opened a couple people's eyes because that meant they opened up the season two and oh, they beat the Rams in their opener on Monday night football. And then at Carolina, they end up winning a really, really hard fought battle that, that went back and forth and was really a defensive struggle with, with, you know, the offense on both sides sputtering, but perhaps some of that Chip Kelly influence that allowed them to be prepared for some of those option runs that were a staple of the, of the Panthers running game. So it was definitely a hard fought battle, but that two and start, you know, allowed the team to take a four and three record into, a, into the bye, which many people thought that they would probably lose their first four games. They'd go zero and four. All of a sudden they're, they're looking at four and three going into the bye, and, and that set them up really for, you know, an up and down sure uh, latter part of the year, but they were able to string a couple wins together and they went nine and seven in that last game against the uh, the Seahawks. But without without some of the key players, both on the defensive line, without Richard Sherman in the secondary, that that defense was a very, very different defense. And it allowed the Niners to pull out that game against the Seattle Seahawks at the end of the year to finish at 10 and six. And so the other thing, when you, you kind of continue along that theme, right, of, of what what are some things that need to happen for a team to make that sort of big jump, you, you got to look at injuries and health, right? We, we talked about it there in the strength of schedule portion uh, when it works the other way, right? When you have a team uh, that's just kind of really hit hard with injuries and, and what that can do to your season, um, teams that make that big leap, they, they tend to get some injury luck, right? We know that from season to season – that the health of a team isn't really consistent, right? Some teams will go on two, three-year runs of good or bad health, um, but it, it doesn't tend to stick for the long term. So uh, 
those big jumps are usually just a you know uh, helped out quite a bit by a good luck of you know injuries. So, and this was something where the Fortnite were kind of you know you hate to say do you don't want to do that that gambler gambler's fallacy there where uh, they're they're due to be a, a more healthy team, but they had had three straight seasons going into this year where they had really been hit pretty hard by injuries. You look at uh, adjusted games loss, another football outsiders metric that we love to reference um, and really think is kind of the best way to measure the total impact of injuries. 2013, they were 23rd, 2014, 28th, 2015, 26. So again, towards the bottom of the league when it comes to health uh, and then things finally turned around this year. Um, we don't get those official AGL numbers until the spring. It's usually like around March where football outsiders releases those. But I mean, obviously we can just kind of look at the, the injury report from the, the season and know that they didn't really suffer any significant injuries. We had the Ian Williams one in the preseason, um, you know, and also Rogers, uh, which who knows what he would, what kind of impact he would have had, but they, they were really able to avoid any sort of major injuries at key positions. That was uh, Rogers, the wide receiver for a second, because even I had forgotten who that was after a whole year of not having heard about it. And I was like, wait, we had someone named Rogers. Oh, that's right. I know. Uh, I forgot about him so much. I couldn't even remember his first name. Yeah. Right. Is Eric, Eric Rogers, uh, who will supposedly come back healthy uh, after the, the, after this year coming back from an ACL. So it definitely Carlos Hyde being available for all 16 games was a big deal. Injury bug was not as big of a deal for the 49ers, but there were, you know, while quarterback play was significant, while the roster stayed healthy, while the divisional opponents did not, hashtag smoothie power, I'm going to go ahead and credit uh, Chip Kelly and all the smoothies he made the players drink. I think that's that's it. That's that's clearly, I mean, that's one of the unheralded benefits of Chip Kelly as a coach is really the smoothie effect. I think that's what we've seen here, the smoothie effect. Uh, But the, the 49ers did excel in a few key statistical areas this season and the first was turnover margin this was part of the story with the 49ers in 2011 when they turned around under Jim Harbaugh but they excelled at generating turnovers and they had some great fumble luck so in 2015 the 49ers ranked 23rd in turnover margin at negative five it was really kind of predicated on a conservative offensive approach under Tom Sula and Jeep Christ names that at this point I'm sure you've probably erased from your memory now that it is January and you're thinking to yourself, wait, who's that guy and what is a mustache? So it just meant that they didn't turn the ball over all that much. But this year, they finished with the league's third best turnover per drive rate per football outsiders, which means that they are generally doing well. They're not giving their defense uh, or they're not giving opposing offenses opportunities, and they themselves are generating more offensive opportunities. When you look at, so yeah, in 2015, it was kind of this weird combination, right? That, that led to, I mean, 23rd obviously is not good when it comes to turnover margin. Having that negative five mark on your record, like, isn't what you're looking for. Um, but it wasn't as bad as you typically tend to see, I guess, with with teams that are, you know, performing. Like, again, this was in 2015 really maybe the worst team on a play-by-play performance level in the league, right? They had the worst point differential in the league. They didn't have quite the turnover uh, margin to, to kind of match that. And and the big reason why, like you mentioned, the conservative offense meant that they didn't turn the ball over that much. But uh, defensively, they weren't forcing any turnovers either, right? Like, we, we thought that this Eric Mangini defense was going to be pretty uh, aggressive and, and maybe look to force a lot of turnovers. But 
after a couple of weeks when they got blown up by Pittsburgh and Arizona, you know, things really dialed back and became super conservative there as well. And so that led to them finishing uh, 30th when you look at turnovers per drive forced on defense. So not giving the ball up a lot on offense, but they weren't taking it away either. So when you look at now fast forward to 2016, we had Colin Kaepernick, you know, a few things contribute to like a, a really big jump in that turnover margin, right? Kaepernick continued to do one of the things that he's actually been pretty consistent at throughout his entire career, regardless of his overall performance level, which is he didn't throw a lot of interceptions, right? He had a 1.9% interception rate entering 2016, and he was able to kind of continue that low interception mark and not turn the ball over a lot in 2016. Uh, the defense under Jim O'Neill actually turned out to be aggressive this time around. So Eric Mangini, we kind of expected a little bit, didn't pan out after a couple of rough weeks early on. The Jim O'Neill defense did kind of live up to that billing, right? The the aggressive uh, defense, it's a little bit more attacking, blitzed a little bit more often than we've been used to, uh, and, and that was able to lead to far more takeaways defensively, which was really kind of the primary driver of a, a massive swing in turnover margin. So you put those together, they were able to go from negative five to plus 15. So we're not talking quite the historic, you know, turnover margin that they had in 2011 under Jim Harbaugh uh, when they got things turned around, but still, you know, kind of a top five mark there. So a very good mark. And their swing, that 20 uh, turnover swing was actually the largest in football this year. So we can talk about later, you know, we can, we can worry about what that's going to mean for 2017, but that was certainly, you know, whenever you can create 15 more takeaways, basically an extra takeaway in your favor per game, uh, you know, that's going to have a, a pretty big impact on the final win-loss remark. Well, and you look at that that turnover in the Falcons game, that interception where it just seems like Matt Ryan is destined to throw an interception to Navarro Bowman at some point in the passing game. And, and you think about how that turned the, the scales there. I mean, it, it's that one turnover helped win that game, which again, positioned them near the end of the season to, to get on that playoff run. So you've got Colin Kaepernick performing well and getting back to the cap we know and love. You've got an easier than anticipated schedule because of injuries. You've got a roster on our end that stayed pretty healthy. Hashtag smoothie power. Um, but the, the 49ers also excelled in turnover margin in a couple of key statistical areas, the biggest of which was their record in the close games. Much like the 2011 season, this wasn't a team that was blowing out opponents every week. They pulled out a number of really, really close games. They went 6-2. and two this season in 2016 in games decided by eight points or less. And we know that the record in close games for any team is going to be pretty variable, right? It's going to switch and, and kind of swing from year to year. And, and over the long term, there's really no consistency. But when teams make large jumps in win totals from one season to the next, as the 49ers did this year, it's usually kind of followed by a, comp- by a favorable run in close games. And the 49ers in this case were no exception. So they were able to, to pull out those close games, those hard-fought games that were the difference in, in most other years where they were not able to win, whether it be because of a turnover or whatever. In this case, they were either generating turnovers or getting those turnovers and, and not making those critical mistakes at the end of games. And then the other area, and this isn't really as much one that, that I, I think would be normally referred to as like kind of a key statistical measure when you're looking at teams that make these large jumps, right? It it isn't necessarily a consistent theme among all of those type of teams, but something that I think was really important for the identity of this specific 49ers team was how well they performed in the first quarter, right? Those early Harbaugh teams, especially 
one of the things that they did very well was play to their strengths, right? Play to their kind of this identity that they wanted to have. And that involved, you know, being able to come out and perform very well early on and, and kind of uh, either establish leads early in games or at least keep things close where it didn't have to, where you didn't have to start altering your game plan significantly because of the game situation, right? Because it doesn't matter what's in your game plan. If all of a sudden you're behind 14 points, 17 points come, you know, the second quarter, like they were so often in in 2015, like all that goes out the window and you just have to throw a lot to try to, you know, have any hope of coming back. So with this team, they were able to perform very well. They ended up, when you look at DVOA, the DVOA splits by quarter, they were actually the sixth best team in the first quarter. So uh, pretty impressive marks there. And that allowed them to kind of stick to their game plan, uh, which with, as we know with Chip Kelly, as we talked about so much in the preseason uh, is really about the run game, right? We were able to rely on Carlos Hyde a little bit more, um, avoid putting too much pressure on Colin Kaepernick in that passing game, which put him in some more favorable situations, right? Which is kind of, you know, get him back to his comfort zone that we had in those early years. Uh, and, and that was, I think, a big thing for this team specifically. Again, not really something that you see as a common thread among uh, a lot of teams that make these sort of big jumps, but I, I thought it was something that was really important to point out for this 49ers team. So we've talked about Colin Kaepernick and his performance, Carlos Hyde staying healthy, the offensive line, and their return to 49er form. Uh, we've talked about the health of the team and how they've excelled in a couple of areas, but there are also other players that contributed greatly to the success of the 49ers and their 10 and six season. One of them is of course, Torrey Smith. He proved worthy of becoming Trent Baalke's richest free agent contract. Well, at least for this season. And really you think of the success that Kaepernick had, he was throw, he had to throw the ball to someone. This is a target rich offense. And you knew that three wide receiver personnel was going to be our favored personnel. And so of course that means that Torrey Smith was going to get a lot of targets, but it also meant that Bruce Ellington and DeAndre Smelter emerged as competent options in the passing game. Bruce Ellington didn't perhaps reach the heights that we hoped that he would get in the preseason, but he was a viable option in the slot and DeAndre Smelter was that kind of Anquan Bolden light, that slant route that when you need six yards and it's third down, you're going to be able to throw it to a big body who's got sure hands. And so the complement of these three receivers, Torrey Smith going deep, Bruce Ellington beating man coverage underneath, and DeAndre Smelter being some of your go-to third down wide receiver catching guy, ultimately rounded out this three wide receiver class that allowed Colin Kaepernick varied targets to succeed in the different situations he needed to. Yeah, I think that w- the the thing you pointed out there about how well they complement each other, I think, is really big, right? Because I think when you if you compare that trio to the trio uh, of Michael Crabtree, Anquan Bolden, and Stevie Smith, right? I think you would say that the Bolden Crabtree uh, Stevie one uh, has a, a larger amount of talent, right? If you just look at pure talent that's the more talented trio there. But we talked about so much why the passing game struggled with those three there is because they were so similar, right? They didn't really bring anything different to the table. They were all uh, best working the same areas of the field. They all did the same sort of things well. They all had the same sort of deficiencies. And so it it made it really tough for the passing game. Um, when you look at these three players, they all kind of do different things well, right? They, they complement each other very well on that. That can open up things. So you don't need necessarily that top-end production from a bunch of guys, right? You don't need uh, a fantastic Pro Bowl caliber options, you know, at your top three receivers to have a successful passing game. You just need guys who are competent options, guys who complement each other well, and that was what we saw kind of come together with this receiver core this year. 
Yeah, I mean, Bruce Ellington, his numbers weren't as flashy, but he did get he did top 850 yards. And that based on the number of catches he got, the volume he got was definitely a significant number. Now, on offense, of course, you've got Colin Kaepernick, Carlos Hyde, Torrey Smith, Ellington and Smelter. But the defense certainly took a big step forward, and it really was on the backs of the young defenders from the past few drafts. Trent Baalke is someone who, you know, his drafts are up and down, and he's had a couple of down years, but man, have players like Aaron Lynch and Eric Armstead really shown these last couple of years. The pass rush improved in 2016 from 29th in adjusted sack rate, and and now they're 8th on the heels of basically career years from Aaron Lynch and Eric Armstead. Yeah, I mean, we talked about both of these guys before the season having really high pressure numbers, right? When you looked at things like the the pass rush uh, productivity metric from Pro Football Focus, um, they ranked very high among their position group in that metric because they were consistently bothering the quarterback, right? They weren't quite getting home and, and uh, generating those, those high sack totals. But typically, if the pressure is consistent, right, if they're consistently bothering the quarterback – eventually the sack numbers are going to come because the sacks are kind of a little bit more random from year to year. But if you're consistent with that pressure, you're going to get the numbers. And, and that was what we finally saw come to fruition with those two. So, I mean, they were both able to get double digit sack seasons and that was what really propelled, you know, this pass rush to that big improvement that you mentioned. And then also it, it always takes, you know, some, some other contributions from the rest of the front seven, right? We saw, Eli Harold, who was able to, you know, take advantage of the early playing time that he got when Aaron Lynch was suspended and uh, and really kind of develop into a quality option on the opposite end. And then, of course, DeForest Buckner, who, you know, was maybe outshined a little bit by uh, his slightly more tenured Oregon uh, former teammate there. But I totally thought you were just going to leave it at Oregon, like his slightly more tenured organ, like bodily organ. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird yeah. if you had organs the, that were more yeah. tenured than other organs. Uh, something yeah. might or, be wrong with he, you. Or I'm not really concerned about the tenure of his organ. I'm concerned <laughs> that one of his organs is Eric Armstead. I like, mean, that's just that weird. would also be a problem. So yeah, uh, but but so he he didn't quite reach, and it makes sense, right? He's a rookie. It, it takes a little adjustment. We saw with Eric Armstead, right? He didn't put up those those sort of gaudy numbers early on, but uh, still had a very good productive season. Uh, and you kind of add all those things together, the interior pressure from guys like Armstead and Buckner, uh, pressure on the edge from Lynch and Harold. And, and that's how you get like that sort of top 10 pass rush, right? You need to be able to bother the quarterback. And I, I think especially like, even though the sack numbers were a little bit higher, when you look at the edge guys, the, the, the pressure from Armstead and Buckner on the inside is just such a huge benefit for your defense because as you know, offenses every year, the release time for quarterbacks gets lower and lower, right? The amount of time that they're holding on the ball offenses are trending towards quicker throws, getting the ball out quicker. Um, and so it's important. You can't quite get there as quickly from the edge as you can in the middle. So you need guys like Armstead and Buckner to be able to collapse the interior of the pocket and, and put that pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and they, they did a great job this year. And obviously that's a, a kind of a pairing there on the inside that we're looking forward to watching for, for hopefully a lot of years to come. And the two other players that really benefited from that interior pass rush and the overall pass rush are Jimmy Ward and Dante Johnson. Now, Jimmy Ward was a star effectively all year, and he was almost being talked about in that shutdown corner territory. But Dante Johnson really was someone who we were high on early on, and he supplanted Tremaine Brock by about that Saints game just after the bye and basically never let go of that starting job once he took over. And they, as a combined duo, 
really up the level of play in the defensive secondary. They are quality players, Ward especially, with his six interceptions and three fumble recoveries. But Dante Johnson now finally solidifies that secondary with another young player who is only got an arrow up moving forward, who both fit the same mold, right? These are both big, rangy quarterbacks in the mold that you now see in vogue throughout the season. So we're happy that Dante Johnson definitely rose to that starting role, not because of all the Johnson jokes that we use throughout the season, because really that's just an ancillary benefit. I mean that, you know, like that, 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 the all Johnson episode, I think was probably one of my favorite episodes that we did this season. Um, just, it, you know, you can't, oh, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong hey, with an all Johnson episode. Drinks happen sometimes, you know? Yeah. Look, wait, Hey, you know what fans, you said you wanted another drunk post draft podcast and, when the Niners started winning, we had no option but to get uh, a little drunk and, and talk, talk about, about Johnson's. Johnson's. It just happens. And that happens. Okay. That happens. It's a perfectly yeah. normal thing. Okay. Absolutely. On webcams, no less. <laughs> I, I mean, so when you start to put all that together, right? And, and it's kind of funny how when we look back at how we viewed things prior to both the 2015 and 2016 seasons, right? There, there was doom and gloom. I mean, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of difference. Uh, you know, I think maybe a little bit more optimism on our end because of uh, a, a coaching staff that we thought from the get go was more competent, um, and in hindsight, you know, really looks to be the case. Um, but there were still, it was still a situation where entering both of those seasons, right? There was so many question marks. There were, there were just so much uncertainty because you have this young team. You, you don't have a lot of established players uh, that that you know. You know, with the Harbaugh teams it was pretty easy to know what to expect from guys like Patrick Willis and Justin Smith and Navarro Bowman and, uh, you know, the offensive line group that you had there and, and kind of all of those sort of veteran players, Frank Gore, um, you, you had a good expectation going in that, okay, I know that I'm going to get this from these guys. With these sort of young players who have yet to establish themselves, you just don't have that. And as much as you'd like to be optimistic and say, yeah, I, I really like Eric Armstead, and I think that he's going to develop into a really quality player. You you just don't know. So both seasons, we had a ton of question marks basically all across the roster and, and very few kind of proven reliable things that we could count on. And it was the outcomes were, were just so drastically different. In, in 2015, basically none of those questions were answered positively. They were all bad. Everything bad happened. And then in 2016, under a new coaching staff kind of leading the way, uh, it was the opposite effect. You know, they, they got a little bit lucky and, and basically everything broke their way. And you know what? That's that's what happens. Like, is that sustainable? You know, who knows? We'll see. A, a lot of people thought it wasn't very sustainable after the 2011 season under Jim Harbaugh. And, and obviously that season was more indicative of just a larger change in the quality of that team and not kind of this outlier one-off season. Uh, we're not going to know for a little bit, uh, you know, what this season is in, in kind of the bigger picture. But uh, it, it's very clear that a lot of things broke their way this year. Uh, you know, all of them, at least some of the big ones we've talked about throughout this episode. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of funny how how those two things worked out. So ultimately, as it turns out, Chip Kelly is slightly a better coach than Jim Tomsula. Uh, Jim Tomsula still to this day has not surfaced. Uh, I was going to say, do we know him. where he's at? Is he okay? No, no, we don't. <laughs> we we genuinely don't. Uh, we, we don't know where him or his mustache are. Uh, there were a couple of reports of him near 24-hour fitness near Willow Glen, uh, but those were unconfirmed. <laughs> cannot confirm the location of Jim Tomsula's mustache. No, Police have searched. There's been, we've sent out search parties. It's just they were yep. not finding it. So that about does it for this season recap edition of the Better Rivals podcast. And 
Now, it's actually going to be the last episode that David's going to be on for a bit. He he had this Beanie Baby collection that he took with him to Pittsburgh, and he actually got a Japanese buyer to pay him a good amount of money for these really, really odd, you know, Beanie Babies that I, I look, I told him he was not going to get any money for him, but man, eBay is a wonderful place. The interwebs are wonderful. And he's taking his his you know wife on a vacation that uh, that is well deserved. So it'll be a couple weeks before we're back uh, because man, that baby that beanie baby money though. I mean, it's like if you saw the forty year old virgin right when he sells all the toys. I mean, it's it's pretty much like that. Yeah, but like with beanie but, baby, so worse. But except for you know the sex part, not like that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what we're trying to tell you is that David has been a forty year old virgin. Because sex with Beanie Babies doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> can neither, much like the location of Jim Tomsell's mustache, uh, can neither confirm nor deny. All right, so we're back from the future. We hopped in under DeLorean, and that was that. Um, man, that was fun. That was uh, that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I you know I'm, I I didn't know uh, I didn't know how it would sound because uh, it, it's always hard. Uh, I, th- I think, at least, especially for me, like to be able to uh, put myself in this this like role playing sort of mode where you don't really know. But if you just pretend it's a real episode, like it's, I guess it's kind of the same. Yeah, ish. Um, what, what will be what will be really interesting is to go back to this episode at at the end of the season and see how many of the things didn't go as expected. Uh, like what the Delta is from a good season, kind of like, you know, we thought, you know, Lynch and Armstead were going to be great. Turns out they both had like, you know, four or five sacks apiece. And, you know, th- that wasn't enough or, or whatever the case. It'll be really interesting to see what what because we've painted, I think, a good picture of what a good season looks like this year. So it'll be really interesting to see the Delta. I think the biggest exigent factor is going to be the the injuries to to the Cardinals and to the Seahawks. I think the Niners can somewhat, you know, luck control some things, but but those are things that that, you know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be as sure as, as some other things that could roll their way. Yeah, I mean I think it's important to point out like this is not our expectation for this coming season, right? This no. is this is uh very much just like an exercise to try to say Okay, we know that these things happen every year, right? Every single year, there are teams that go from the bottom of the league to playoffs or playoff contention, at least, um, and, and kind of surprise everybody that nobody saw coming in. And it's usually there's a few common things that you point out, which we tried to pull out a lot of those those sort of things. And so, and I think we tried to stay, you know, fairly at least when it, when I was going through and adding stuff in, yeah. like I tried to keep it reasonable, right? Like obviously. Uh, it would be really, really hard to, to come up with a scenario in which like this was a Super Bowl team uh, or, or something like that. This is well, some dominant not even, team. Not even that, but we're not. We also didn't want to paint the picture that the reason the Niners, you know, that we we didn't want to paint them into a thirteen and three corner, right? Like what, this was not going to be a all of a sudden this team is steamrolling the Patriots and steamrolling the Cardinals. Like if the Niners are going to have a successful year, it's likely because there are a lot of lucky things that break their way but also because some other things happen around the league that help them out. And that still probably only gets them to about 10 and six, you know, like the the likelihood of this season being bad is, is fairly high comparatively, but if they do well, 
then it, we think it will be because of these other factors that help them out. Right. It's it's this is a uh, I think reasonable scenario for the the best case 2016 season for the 49ers, right? Like the absolute best case scenario for this team I think is is pretty much what we outlined and again, are the are a lot of those things I I think like you pointed out the the Seahawks like the injuries to other teams uh you know really kind of being hamstrung there is going to be really probably the toughest one. Like I see what uh, you did there. Injuries and hamstrung. Well done. Yeah. Uh, uh. Um, it's almost like we're semi-pros at this. Semi pros. Yeah. We're like vice. We're like vice principals. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, I, I think. But when you when you look at kind of again those driving factors, right? Colin Kaepernick coming back. Is it likely? Maybe not. But you could see a scenario in which that happened, right? When Colin Kaepernick kind of came back and approached his his early season performance, um, you could see a scenario in which they were really healthy because that happens all the time. Um, you could see a, a scenario in which teams, you know, they get a little bit lucky in close games and, and they kind of get a little bit uh, of turnover luck there. Like, again, these are, these are is very much modeled after what these seasons tend to look like when they actually happen. Yeah. You know, when you go back and, and look at them with the benefit of hindsight, these are a lot of things that pop up pretty consistently with those type of teams. And so, uh, again, but I just want to make it very clear that, like, while it will be very fun t- at the end of the season to go back and, and kind of maybe listen to this and see, you know, how close it was to reality, like, this is not our expectation um, of what will happen this season. We'll certainly, uh, you know, kind of closer to the start of the regular season, uh, do more of a, an actual season Real. preview, yeah. but uh, and list out some of those expectations and maybe get some predictions and, and all that. But uh, it was a well, fun here, exercise. Yeah. Here's here's what I will say. While we don't think the 49ers will be the team that this happens to, there probably will be a team that this happens to. Like we 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 could apply this model to like we'll go back I think and maybe look at whatever Cinderella team whatever zero to hero team it was and and look to see what threads were consistent with that team because we we didn't build this this hypothetical future out of nothing we built it off of the backs of teams like the 2011 49ers because that was they had a lot of this stuff go right for them. And that was another zero to hero team. Um, I think it was, and we mentioned that team. We also mentioned the Chiefs, I think, as well. Yeah, the 2013 Chiefs. That was, was when they went from to Andy Reid. Uh, yeah, from Romeo Cornell to Andy Reid. Uh, that was when Alex Smith w- came over. Like they went from two and fourteen, which is probably what the 49ers' record last year should have been. Um, but they went from two and fourteen to eleven and five, I believe, and, and yeah. made the playoffs. So. Again, and, and it was a lot of these driving factors. Like the Chiefs that year, I think, had, if not the best turnover differential, it was like right up there uh, in the top two or yeah. three. Tom Bahali, um, didn't he have like a huge. It was Tom Bahali or, or who was their pass rusher? Uh, Houston, Justin Houston. Justin Houston, uh, and that's what Tom it was. are kind of been, yeah, they're, they're edge guys. But yeah, it was, again, you look at that team, it was, uh, it was an upgrade in coaching, um, it was an upgrade in quarterback play, and then it was some luck in a few kind of key areas that can really swing the outcome of games, things like turnover margin, uh, you know, pulling out close victories, um, staying healthy as well. Like those things are, are things that are very random from season to season over the long term. There's not really a lot of predictive power in there, but 
teams obviously have runs of good luck in those areas. That's, that's kind of what drives a lot of this randomness from season to season. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the model is, is kind of somewhat is realistic and, and would be a very reasonable scenario as a best case for this team. Absolutely. So that about does it for this week's edition of the Niners nation, better rivals podcast. I'm going to go ahead and, kick off our theme music because it's uh it's pretty awesome as usual from steven schreffler and jared taylor uh they did this custom theme song for us and you can find them at the barbarysound.com that's the barbary sound b-r-b-a-r-b-a-r-y sound.com uh, and thank you again to those of you who have left reviews on itunes they definitely help others discover the show so if you haven't left one or left a review on itunes please do so uh, only if it's good, though. That's the caveat, right? If it's yeah, bad. only if it's good. And click yeah, that subscribe button, right? If you're not subscribing, like, go click it. You don't even have to have to open iTunes ever again if you don't want to. Just go <laughs> click that button and then, you know, let it do its thing. Yep. And uh, and we mentioned it at the top of the show, but we'll be moving to a more regular cadence after this one. Uh, it's definitely going to be a, uh, a fun, I think, season. Because even if it's an abjectly terrible season, even if our, our kind of hopeful hypothetical is nowhere near reality at least we'll be able to evaluate some real offense (laughs) and hey the next time that we talk we're going to be talking about some real football that actually happened um next next week we will be recapping the first preseason game uh of the season which is pretty exciting that offseason went by super quick but it's so quick i know i know it does but uh we'll uh definitely gonna come back next week with a new episode um and we'll also have an update on whether or not david has a date for his wedding um because we'll fill you in on whether or not he's gonna win this battle let's let's uh keep that down let's not (laughs) let's not uh let's not go there (laughs) oh goodness but uh that about does it this week Uh, and so it was good to do this via remote even though i'm looking at your stupid face via webcam uh, yeah, it's and your weird. cat licking his crotch in the corner. <laughs> oh, now he's not I, doing it. I mean, that happens. Yeah, know. totally happens. But all right. So thanks for tuning in, y'all. And uh, we'll, we'll see y'all again next week. Well, actually, we won't see you next week because this is quasi-radio. But as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.